Well, welcome to this Super Tuesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and so glad that you have tuned in today as we're going to talk about some Super Tuesday stuff, especially as it pertains to the sanctity of human life. And I realize that some people might say, well, first of all, Roger, you always talk about the sanctity of human life, so how is that any different? <laughs> and it's really not. But um, we're doing Super Tuesday all the way throughout 2023 as well, even though there will not be an election until the general election in 2024. Why are we doing this? Well, there's a couple of reasons. First of all, because quite frankly, I've had enough. <laughs> I know you have too. Um, you know, it, it, in terms of elections, you're going to hear me say a couple things that might sound like uh, cognitive dissonance. On the one hand, you'll say, I think everybody should get out and vote. And on the other hand, saying, yeah, but the most important thing is to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But you know what, brothers and sisters, we have brothers and sisters in our world who are in countries that are run by communists, run by socialists, run by terrorists, basically. And they don't have the same rights and freedoms we do as it pertains to voting as it pertains to letting our voice be heard with the thought and the hope that at least we have a fighting chance of possibly letting our voice be heard with regard to the government that we have of foreign by the people. I know it's not perfect. I know we have corrupt police officers. We've got crooked politicians and judges. It's not a perfect uh, scenario. But hear me out when I say, hey, look, I know the system kind of stinks, but I also understand there are a lot of Christians who kind of sit out elections because they think, well, so what? If we get bad government, then that means that uh, uh, you know maybe we're one step closer to the Lord returning. Well, that would be great if, if all we had to do is kind of sit back and let things get super bad and then not have to worry about um, you know doing anything until the Lord's return, then we would all just sit around and do nothing and sing Kumbaya songs and hang out with other Christians and occupy until the Lord returns. But here's the problem with that. That's not what we're called to do. We have to play until the whistle, the final bell, if it, as it is. We are here to occupy and to not necessarily take over, not necessarily Christianize the culture, but rather just to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Some people are going to hear it and receive it, and some people aren't. Not everybody who hears the gospel in English is going to respond to it, but some other people might hear it in different languages, in different countries, in different scenarios. And it seems like right now the church in the persecuted world is thriving. We certainly don't want to bring that on if that's not what God's plan is for the church in the United States of America. But we are definitely being challenged, and that's a good thing. Your muscles will grow stronger if they are pushed and challenged and stretched. So I... I I'm imploring you to make sure now, if you live in California and you're listening to the Bottom Line Show, you don't have a choice. If you have a driver's license, you have to register to vote. So the idea that Christians can somehow uh, sit out elections or not really be involved in the political process in the People's Republic of California, that ain't happening, brothers and sisters. It's just not. So that is good news to a certain extent with regard to how well uh, you're going to respond to, you know, the message of not only the gospel, but also in the political world. But as long as we are here and as long as we have breath, we must be engaged in the culture. And one of the best ways you can engage in the culture is to register to vote. And then vote. Show up. Let your voice be heard. So here on this Super Tuesday, I want to give you an example of what happens when you let your voice be heard. 
the Democrat Party did a masterful job in the 2022 midterm elections of lying to people and convincing them that a problem that wasn't there was there. And they used abortion as the cudgel. Abortion was the divider. It was the divisive one. They went to college-educated women, predominantly Anglo women, and said, your constitutional rights are at risk. Your health is at risk. Your life is at risk if you can't keep a legal right to abortion. Look what activist judges did to Roe versus Wade. And, um, hey, here's the deal, you know. Um, and it worked. They, they fooled a lot of people into thinking that if they didn't vote Democrat, if they didn't vote blue, that somehow they were going to lose their constitutional rights. Nothing could be further from the truth. You have one of the most constitutionally driven uh, high courts assembled right now, thanks to President Donald Trump. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's... Uh, you know, that's part of the takeaway of the Trump legacy and the Trump presidency. But when it comes to the sanctity of human life, let me give you an example of how the left does things and how the right does things. First and foremost, we're going to take a look at the case involving Mark Houck. Now, Mark Houck, if you had not heard, uh, is a 48-year-old man. He is a devout Catholic. He's the father of two, four, six, seven children. And he's a regular volunteer at, uh, you know, working in uh, the pro-life community, helping people um, in front of abortion clinics by praying for them, by encouraging them to seek other options. You know, we talk about this all the time. When you go to a pre-born clinic, which is a pregnancy health resource center, they have ultrasound machines. Women who are pregnant can get free pregnancy tests, a free ultrasound. Our $28 donation goes to providing one of those ultrasound screenings. Um, so, and, and 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic get the ultrasound screening, hear the heartbeat and see the baby's image, choose life. Either they choose to carry the child to term and become parents, you know, mom and dad do, or they carry the child to term and release that child for adoption. 83 times out of 100. So we basically say here at the Bottom Line Show, a $28 donation saves one child, $140 donation saves five, you know, 280 saves 10, a $15,000 donation provides one ultrasound machine that provides 250 ultrasound screenings per year for a minimum of 10 years. That's truth. That is actual, God-loving, biblically-based, scientifically corroborated truth. That when you use the ultrasound machine to show the image of the baby to a woman, you can statistically measure it in pregnancy health centers. And what happens in abortion clinics, all those people aren't licensed, but we are licensed with the federal government. Do they have a, a, a pregnancy ultrasound machine in a abortion clinic? Of course they do. How else are they supposed to do a, a surgical ultrasound? A, a abortion, rather. They could do the medical. They got to confirm the pregnancy that the little guy's in there. And they could do the pill-based one, which we've talked about before, Mifepristone, which basically starves the child. That's the first stage. And the second stage, uh, prosopitol, I believe it's called, or, mis or misoprotol, excuse me, um, then delivers the baby. In other words, forces an unnatural um, miscarriage. But they don't want mom to see the baby. And guys like Mark Houck stand in front of abortion clinics and ask women questions like, are, are, do you know what you're getting into? Do you know what all your options are? Can I pray for you? Can I pray with you? Well, in 2021... Mark Houck was with his 12-year-old son at a, an abortion clinic in Philadelphia. They were praying when an abortion worker supporter uh, approached them 
and basically uh, shoved Mark's 12-year-old son, pushed him out of the way. So Mark interceded and said, hey, wait, you can't do this. I mean, you, you can't, my kid's a 12-year-old. What are you doing? As a result of that altercation, the police were brought in, and it wasn't the abortion worker who faced any sort of charges for physically, for assault and battery on a 12-year-old boy. Rather, it was Mark Houck who was brought up under charges for violating the, something called the FACE Act. This is freedom of access to clinic entrances. It prohibits, quote, violent, threatening, damaging, or obstructive conduct intended to injure, intimidate, or interfere with the right to seek, obtain, or provide reproductive health services. Now, in theory, that means abortion clinics are protected, so you can't block the entrance to an abortion clinic. And having done this for many years, I've never seen one pro-life supporter actually try this. But the same holds true for abortion supporters who show up at a place like preborn and a preborn clinic saying, you can't go in there because you guys are instruments of death. Well, so the charges were brought against Mark Houck. And last fall, you might have seen this. The FBI came to his home. He was awakened at dawn, out of a sound sleep, and he was arrested. Full Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago style. Perp walk, handcuffs in front of the whole neighborhood style. The FBI raiding his home. Now, let me ask you a question. This is a guy who was peacefully praying in front of an abortion clinic in Philadelphia. He was there with his 12-year-old son who was also doing the same. When an abortion worker at the clinic started walking toward them and told them to get out of the way, they weren't blocking the entrance. But by the time the worker shoved the 12-year-old boy out of his way, then all of a sudden, now they're having this altercation in front of the entrance. So forget the fact that a grown man pushed a 12-year-old boy to the ground because he was there. But rather, the idea was that here comes, they turned it around on the pro-lifers. Well, good news for Mark Houck and company. He finally had his day in federal court, and he has now been acquitted of all the charges. The federal jury made its decision after previously being deadlocked. Initially, there was a hung jury in the case. But the good news basically is that, uh, you know, it's interesting. His legal team that did the defense for him had emails that were sent to the FBI explicitly offering to bring their client in for questioning. They did not want the big, you know, scene that actually arrived. The FBI did not answer any of the emails. Instead, they sent heavily armed federal agents to pound on his door one early Friday and arrest him in front of his wife and his nervous children. They did this for theatrics, and the, you can blame this on the FBI, and this goes right up to the White House in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Then the same way that Donald Trump's home was raided at Miralago for files that the FBI had already investigated, already knew were there, had already looked at, reviewed, and decided there was no problem, they staged a raid to kind of stoke the fires. And in this case, the federal government says that Mark Houck was guilty of violating the FACE Act because his kid got pushed in front of the doorway of an abortion clinic and he went to go aid his child and confront the worker who did it and they just so happened to be in front of the doorway? You have to wonder if the worker was actually acting knowing full well what the FACE Act was, or the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances, 
and deliberately pushed the boy there so his dad would now be standing in front. Hey, you're blocking my way. Ridiculous. But the good news is God is glorified and Mark Houck is now a free man. So good for you, Mark. Uh, You know what I would encourage you to do? Let me throw this out here. The Houck family, Mark and his wife are parents of seven children. Why not make a donation to Preborn today for $280 for 10 babies, 10 ultrasounds? Statistically, the Houck family perfectly represents the fact that 83% of the women who go to a preborn clinic see the ultrasound, hear the heartbeat, and decide to choose life. And 10,000 women plus last year who went and had that experience, who weren't Christians, left the clinic as new sisters in Christ to us. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go online to kbrightradio.com. Click on the tab there for preborn. You can also find it at thebottomlineshow.com as well. And you'll be blessed knowing that 100% of your donation goes to saving babies through ultrasound appointments. 833-850-BABY or go to kbrightradio.com. As we continue, how can you, you know you're gifted. God's given you a set of DNA that only you have to bless others. How can you unleash those personal gifts and even your personal genius? Pastor and author Stephen Chandler is going to join me for a conversation on how to harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. The first step is stop waiting for permission to do so. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to an expectant mother is the gift of the first picture she'll ever have of her son or daughter in the womb. That comes through an ultrasound, and our friends at Preborn have an opportunity for us to make more of these ultrasounds a reality. Every time you give a donation of $28 to Preborn, that means one more ultrasound can take place. But how about giving enough money for an ultrasound machine? The cost is $15,000. It's a sizable investment. But every ultrasound machine can do 250 ultrasounds per year and lasts at least 10 years. Now take that cost $15,000 and divide that by 2,500. Okay, now you begin to see how the cost per ultrasound goes down even more once we have more ultrasound machines to donate into preborn clinics. Make a donation right now to preborn. It's completely tax deductible, and every penny, every dollar you donate right now is going to the purchase of an ultrasound machine. 833-850-BABY is the number to call, 833-850-2229, or go to kbrightradio.com. That's K-B-R-I-T-E radio.com. Click on the banner for Preborn and make your best donation right now. $25, $50, $100, it all counts towards saving babies' lives. kbrightradio.com, hit the Preborn banner right now. Well, today on The Bottom Line, we're going to get into a topic of conversation that can be a sore subject for some people. It's not the kind of thing that we like to talk about in polite company. And yet for some reason, there are a lot of people who say, look, I I feel like God has given me gifts. God has given me talents, things that I should uh, be potentially operating in. And yet for some reason, uh, the opportunity just hasn't presented itself. Well, pastor and author Stephen Chandler wants to uh, give you permission to stop waiting for permission. That's the name of his brand new book. Stop waiting for permission, harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor Stephen Chandler, welcome to The Bottom Line Show today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. 
great conversation. We are certainly looking forward to with uh, Pastor Chandler. He's the senior pastor at Union Church in Maryland, has grown the church from about 50 people to several thousand people in weekly attendance. And then your online church has grown dramatically. Is that kind of pandemic related or is it who's finding you online? What To what do you attribute that kind of growth, Pastor Stephen? Well, definitely pandemic related. I think for a lot of churches, the online audience kind of just went through the roof. Uh, but what we found since the pandemic is we have seen more people come back after church than left but during the pandemic, and our online is still super strong. So love it. It's been love really it. cool to see. Why are so many people in the body of Christ saying, I love God, I know he's given me gifts, but I just don't feel like I'm either living up to them or that I can operate in them? What, what, what do you think is holding people back? I think there's so many different factors to it. I think one is we get stuck in survival mode. Mm. Oftentimes in life, we don't do what we want to do. We do what we have to do. Right. And we, we have to, you know, pay bills, make sure that the bills are paid, make sure that family's taken care of and all those different types of things. And sometimes we get so busy that years go by before we ever ask the question of, wait, what did God make me for? Mm. What's the impact that I was left here on earth to make? And, and am I fulfilled in the things that I'm giving my life to? Mm -hmm. It's amazing how that survival mode can't... I mean, I, I, I'll use the analogy. You've seen it. I've seen it. I'm glad car manufacturers stop putting in full-size spare tires on cars <laughs> because you and I both know that they're not supposed to be driven more than just a few miles. And yet how many times do you see that car that's kind of cruising around going, well, I can get another week. Well, I next payday, you know, I just don't get around to it. And pretty soon you forget that that's not what was intended to be on the car, but it's a good substitute. And that's kind of the survival mode that a lot of Christians are living in. It absolutely is. And it's a little bit safe too, mm. because if I step out of survival mode and I actually ask what God made me for here on earth, that will guarantee it will take you out of your comfort zone. It will require you to step into a place of life that you do not necessarily yet have mastered. It's going to stretch your faith. And uh, that's scary. Yeah. And a little uncomfortable. It certainly is. Pastor Stephen Chandler is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. His brand new book is called Stop Waiting for Permission. Harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. You encourage people to look for greatness. And I'm sure one of the roadblocks that a lot of people have is, well, I'm not called to greatness. <laughs> you know, that's for somebody else. I, I could never do that. But you really exhort us in a biblical sense. There's a real challenge here. Talk about why it's important for us to say, I do want to be great. I want to do great things for God. I want to be used in a great way. Yeah, well, let me give you the whole uh, sermon in 30 <laughs> seconds. Okay, fire away. <laughs> so we know Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, God made man in his image. In the image yes. of God, he made them male and female. Well, let's start the conversation with, is God great? Would we say God is not great? He's small. He's insignificant. He's uncreative, uncreative. Of course not. He's a great God. The Bible says, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Well, yes. we know we serve a great God. Genesis 127 says we were made in the image of God. So how can a great God make something in his image that is not great? So there is greatness in our DNA because of who our creator is. And 
I'm going to say you're going to find out pretty quickly. I say kind of jarring statements and I'm a little ignorant. It's just a little bit of fun. But I think to deny our individual greatness is actually to deny the image of God on our lives. Mm, wow. Yeah, I know, okay. right? I thought you was going to be heavy. <laughs> oh, that's not ignorant, but I mean, that that's heavy and spot on. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. you, you'll hear people say, oh, I'm not an upfront person. I, I'm a behind the scenes person and I'm a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, I'm just, I just like to play in the background. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to be a city on a hill. Yes. And a light that, that can't be hidden. Um, and, and sometimes our insecurities kind of tempt us to play small when we were made in the image of a great God. Mm, I love that. Boy, that uh, right between the eyes from Pastor Stephen Chandler today here on The Bottom Line. The brand new book is called Stop Waiting for Permission, Harness Your Gifts, Find Your Purpose, and Unleash Your Personal Genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Okay, Pastor Stephen, Devil's Advocate, you've challenged me now on this to say, you know, get off the bench, get in the game and look for the greatness and why you should want this. How do I do it? I mean, I've my whole life, I've been walking with the Lord maybe 20, 30, 40 years and thinking my job is to kind of be the bit player, my, you know, the fill in the gap player, the role player, if you will, come off the bench, spell the other guy. What? How do I unlock that purpose? How do I identify that purpose? Is? Absolutely. And honestly, that is the essence of the book. I think for me, a lot of my life, I didn't think that there's anything great about me. And I looked at people that were having a great impact and I said, oh, they're lucky. Oh, mm -hmm. they're God's favorite or they're unusually gifted. And there was no roadmap to how do I maximize the greatness that God's given me. And, and the book really is designed to be that roadmap. It starts off with just accepting that this is what God has for you. Then it goes to a place that's really important and it's still like preparation for the journey, but it's major. We've got to evaluate our motives mm. because mm -hmm. there's some negative motives for greatness, like fear, pride, compare. I want to be great because I want to prove people wrong. Right. And negative motives will always take you outside of the peace and grace and promises of God. So we've got to get our, our motives right. And then now we start the work. Mm. So step number one is I've got to figure out what, what my gifting is. What's my passion? Where do I point all my energy? And a lot of people have no idea where their, their gifting is. I've got to make sure that I have a foundation to build upon, that I'm learning the right things, that I'm building a team around me, that I'm taking leaps of faith. There's about six steps that I need to take to maximize. And here's the thing, you can apply these steps to any area of your life. I mm. want greatness in my relationships, in my faith, in my career, in my ministry, in my finances. You can apply these to any area. I love that. And you know, it's interesting when you think about that, you know, where am I and what am I supposed to do? Uh, being able to identify the area where you're supposed to be great. Uh, Dr. George Barna is a regular contributor to the bottom line show. We've become good friends over the years. And and I was asking him one day, just in an aside, I said, George, how do you define what you do? Because this guy is one of the best known uh, statisticians, if you will. I mean, he, he comes up with the best data on where the church is and church versus the culture. And he looked at me through the Zoom lens and he, he smiled. He said, three words, I measure things. And I went, whoa, you get it. You know, this is why God put you here. I want to be able to have that kind of message, if you will. Pastor Stephen Chandler, is that one of the keys to harnessing the gifts of saying, I can really explain this? To, if anybody asks me what my gift or gifts are, I could, should be able to explain it pretty easily like that. Absolutely. And here is why. 
The Bible says that a man's gift opens doors and brings him before great people. Yes, yes. Here's what the verse does not say. It doesn't say it only opens the right doors. It doesn't mm. say it opens God doors. It says it opens doors. And what I've discovered is that my gift can open doors that God meant for me. And my gift can open doors that God did not make for me. That may not be evil or sinful. It may just be a distraction from the call of God on my life. Mm. And if I don't have clarity of vision of where God has called me to be great, I could spend God gifts on areas that he never called me to build and actually waste a lot of time. I love that, Pastor Stephen Chandler, a senior pastor of Union Church in Maryland. He's the author of a brand new book called Stop Waiting for Permission, Harness Your Gifts, Find Your Purpose, and Unleash Your Personal Genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. You know, I just finished a meeting in Africa with a group of guys. And I said to them, here's the deal. They want to know how things are going in the United States. Hey, I'm not going to lie to you. Things are crummy. But I said, what you do every day is you get up every day, gentlemen, and you realize that none of this matters. God is in control. And if you believe that, then it, it's all downhill. And, and I said to them, I said, so as we struggle here with the things that we're planning to do here in Africa, it's exciting to see all the things that you guys want to do and the plans you're making. Just know that God is in charge. And so and the bad things that are happening in the United States, God is going to work all of them to good, Romans 8, 28. That's the only solution is just go back every day to Jesus and ask him for guidance on what you're supposed to be doing. Amen and amen. Dennis Wilson, Wilson Financial Services, 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or go to kbrightradio.com forward slash Wilson Financial. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, Pastor Stephen Chandler, my guest today here on the program, and we're talking about why it's important for Christians to stop waiting for permission to harness your gifts, uh, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. Um, that's the brand new book that we've got up at thebottomlineshow.com, and he has a couple of copies of the book that we have for you for giveaway today. Uh, Crystal's standing by to take your calls at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. Again, two copies of Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, Stop Waiting for Permission, Harness Your Gifts, Find Your Purpose, and Unleash Your Personal Genius, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. I believe that our life is filled up with five components, strengths, weeks, weaknesses, rather, liabilities, gifts, and talents. Your strengths, you know what they are. You can pretty much uh, spot them yourself or somebody else can help you find them. Your weaknesses are areas that could potentially become strengths with the right kind of uh, elbow grease. Your liabilities are things that you just have to accept. They're never going to change. Your talents are things that you can do and lots of other people might have similar talents too, but your giftedness is that something that only you can do. God's given you that giftedness, and he gave it to you to share with the other kids in class. The question we have to ask and answer then is, what are we waiting for? Um, Pastor Stephen Chandler addresses that issue in his brand new book called Stop Waiting for Permission. We've got two copies that were given away today here at 800-227-5278. More of this conversation on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Life insurance will never replace the person you love, but that money can help you get through life when it feels impossible. When your life insurance claim is denied while you're already dealing with so much, you need someone on your side. 
Stephanie Cover of Coverlaw used to work for the insurance companies. She challenges and understands the way insurance companies think. Hire Stephanie to file a life insurance appeal while everything is still fresh in your mind. Don't let the insurance company get away with greedy behavior while you're in mourning. Stephanie Cover will do everything in her power to get you the financial protection which was promised to you as a beneficiary of the policy. The money from the life insurance proceeds can supplement your income so you can support yourself throughout the process of bereavement. Save Stephanie's number or call her now at 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Or you can fill out a contact form at kbrightradio.com slash coverlaw. Stephanie Cover. She knows the other side. Pastor Stephen Chandler is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. There's a reason why his book has nothing but five-star ratings on Amazon, and that's because it's good. I mean, it's, it's touching people's lives, my goodness. The book is called Stop Waiting for Permission, Harness Your Gifts, Find Your Purpose, and Unleash Your Personal Genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, Pastor Stephen, during the break, we were talking about something that was a question that I had that I was hoping you could dive a little deeper into here as we get into the second half of the program, and that is the idea that you, you mentioned the leap of faith, and oftentimes when it comes to a leap of faith, we in the body of Christ look at it this way. It's a Hail Mary pass. You know, it's mm -hmm. just, it's a, I'm going to throw it up in the air and I hope God catches it and drops it in somebody's lap or, you know, whatever, rather than saying, hey, wait a minute, I'm going to take a step. You you devote an entire chapter in this book to what you call wise leaps of faith. Yeah. A lot of people are risk averse these days. Why is it so important for us to understand what a leap of faith is and how important it is to unlocking our personal genius? Definitely. So this is nothing to do with the question you asked me, but at the time of this recording, it's football season. So yes. I've seen a couple of Hail Marys thrown in the last yeah. few days. And <laughs> you know what's so wild? Uh, they practice Hail Marys during the week before game time, yep. just in case they need to pull that play out. So even that idea, a leap of faith is not frivolous, it's not foolish, and it's not void of wisdom. One of the scariest decisions I had to make as a senior pastor was to move the location of our church 25 minutes drive away from where we were founded. Mm. And uh, for the believers that are listening to this, um, you know how you people are. Y'all don't like to drive any further than you <laughs> to the church. And I mean, it was, I was terrified of what if this, you know, what if people can't make the move with us? What if it doesn't work? Sure. All these different things. And I walk through literally a process that I outline in the book. And the first is, do I have a piece about it? The Bible says that God will order your steps. He said, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And he will respond by giving you a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard your heart and guard your mind. Do I have the peace of God that the Holy Spirit is saying, this is a wise step? Mm. The second thing is there's wisdom and wisdom says, hey, is, is there signs in the natural, according to God's word, and I'll say it this way, that if this goes badly, it will not bankrupt the call of God on your life. Mm -hmm. but as we were looking to make the move, we absolutely stopped and talked, hey, how many people are going to be able to make this move with us? And particularly financially for a church, do we have enough savings in the bank? 
that if there's a number of people that can't make the move with us and our giving does go down, then it won't put us in jeopardy of not being able to pay some employees salaries or Mm -hmm. make sure that we're able to maintain the building or whatever it may be. So we made sure, hey, we're going to make this move, but we're not going to make it until we have a wise amount of resources in the bank to be able to kind of bridge the gap of the transition. Uh, The last thing I did was I talked to godly counsel. And the key word there is godly. And my definition of godly is there is evidence in your life that you're living with the wisdom and that you've heard from God and obeyed because we can all find somebody foolish enough to agree with whatever harebrained idea that we come up with. Wait, but we the need the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let a matter be established. And when mm-hmm. I had the peace of God, it lined up with wisdom and I had godly counsel that said, yes, this is a risk. This is the leap of faith. I actually had senior pastors that came to me and said, Hey, go ahead and take this leap. And if the church gets any financial problems whatsoever, we will cover the gap and we will mm. make sure that things are taken care of. And with that safety net, even though it was still uncertain, um, I felt very confident in taking that leap. We took the leap and the church grew by 35% within wow. eight months of taking that step of faith. Wow, wow. Um, but, so you can well, walk by faith and still have wisdom as well. When I love that process, you described Pastor Stephen Chandler about uh, taking, you know, what maybe you'd call it a calculated risk, but a wise leap of faith, where you did your due diligence, you're in prayer, you're 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 measuring out, you're you're counting the cost, as Scripture tells us to do, and you believe that God's telling you this is the right step to do, even if there are going to be a few people in the in the pew. Uh, not that I've ever been that person before. What do you mean you're moving up the street? I don't, I, I can't go another two blocks or whatever where you're going because it advances the mission, and I think that's that. I love hearing you share that story, Pastor Stephen Chandler, in the book, Stop Waiting for Permission, identifies this process and others. Uh, the subtitle, Find Your Purpose, and Harness Your Gifts, Find Your Purpose, and Unleash Your Personal Genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Personal genius is a rather bold statement, uh, Pastor Stephen Chandler. Mm-hmm. Talk about what that does. Some people are geniuses, some people are not. Is everybody, do we have a personal genius, a thing that we're best at than other people that God wants us to share? Yeah, I, I, I will say it this way. I think every person has, we know this, you know, word in the Christian world, a call from God on their life. Okay. I say it this way. There's a problem here on earth that you are God's solution. Mm-hmm. He, Israel cried out, God, we need a deliverer. And he went and found Moses. You are the solution to this problem here on earth. How cruel would it be for God to call us to do something that he hasn't equipped us to do. Mm. That, 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 mm-hmm. that, that's cruel. It's like me asking my child to cut the lawn and not giving them a lawn more. Right. Like, okay. <laughs> you know I mean, it's just like, here are the scissors, what figure doing? it out. Yeah. Yeah. And the Bible made it clear that us earthly fathers are evil compared to right. our heavenly father. Yeah. So when I say personal genius, I don't mean you're the best in the world to do what you do. I don't mean you're better than, you know, 99% of the world at it. What I mean is you're unusually gifted in a particular area and that gifting is connected to what God has called you to do. And a lot of people don't know how to find their gifting. Well, get real practical. What's a gift? A gift is something that you give away. And when people receive it, 
they are at least a good gift. They're happy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Some of you guys keep on giving socks for Christmas and people aren't happy. <laughs> so what do people constantly come to you for? Mm. What do people constantly get excited when you give them? And I, I, you know, I like to kind of poke fun at people. Some people think that singing is their gift, mm. but every time they give it away, dogs howl. Well, uh, <laughs> it does. May, are you saying it does come back void, Pastor Stephen Chandler? <laughs> in that case, <laughs> that may not be your gift. So start looking. Right. What do people enjoy to receive from me? Where do I see God's favor? Here's how I describe yeah. favor. I put in one level of effort, but the results I get back are exponentially greater than the effort that I Amen. put in. There's mm-hmm. just a supernatural aspect. When I do this, here's a big one. Do gifted people think I'm gifted? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Your mama may say you're gifted. Sure. But, <laughs> but the person who actually does that for a living or is an expert in that area, are they impressed when you give that gift away? All clues to discovering your personal genius. Boy, that's again, right between the eyes from uh, Pastor Stephen Chandler today here on The Bottom Line. Stop Waiting for Permission is the title of the brand new book. Harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Pastor, we have a couple of minutes left in our conversation. And one of the things that you write about in this book, Stop Waiting for Permission, is the fact that a lot of people think, okay, I've identified my genius. I know what my giftedness is. I'm trying to do this, but well, I'm not getting the recognition or it seems like I'm not getting as far as I possibly can. You encourage us and exhort us in your new book, Stop Waiting for Permission, to remember that what we're called to do is not something that we're supposed to do in isolation, but we're supposed to do in community. Talk about why that's so important for us to understand. Absolutely. I think sometimes we value being unique more than we value being effective. Mm. And mm-hmm. we've really got, I'm, I'm not looking to make Stephen's imprint on the world. I'm looking to make an impact in this world for the glory of God. And the Bible says that there's nothing new under the sun. Right. So when I study other people that have accomplished great things, and I almost start writing a roadmap to their impact, I'm able to notice patterns on my journey. So for example, when I became the senior pastor of my church and we relaunched it from 50 people that first Sunday, we had 331 people. Hmm. After 12 months, we had 150 people. If I was in isolation, I would feel like a complete failure. Right. We're, we're, we're more than half, we're less than half of what we had on our first Sunday. But after studying and and, and talking to pastors of ministries of thousands of people and hearing their story of how you can expect to keep 50% of whatever shows up on your first day, because a lot of those people are family members and well-wishers and busybodies who just want to know what the new thing in town is or whatever (laughs) it may be. I wasn't discouraged at all because I knew if I could say it this way, what the industry standards were for what I was doing. But if you, I mean, think about a mom who expects to have her newborn sleeping through the night four weeks in. If she doesn't speak to other Uh, moms, (laughs) uh. (laughs) she's going to feel like a failure. Sure. 
But when you talk to other moms and you realize, listen, if you get that baby sleeping within the first nine months, mm -hmm. you are one of the greatest to ever do it on planet Earth. <laughs> we will all rise and call you blessed. Listen, if you can pull that one off. Yeah. So we, we cannot live out the call of God on our lives in isolation. Right. And if we do, it will bring more discouragement and more heartache than God intended us to have. Hmm. Stop Waiting for Permission is the brand new book by Pastor Stephen Chandler. Harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And after you read this book, I know that you'll be adding to the multitude, the plethora of five-star ratings on, on the social media sites where you can get this. Pastor Stephen, thank you for writing this book. Thank you for exhorting us today here on the program. And uh, God's richest blessings to you and your family uh, through this whole new year of 2023. Thanks for being with us here on The Bottom Line today. My pleasure. And thank you for all that you do for the kingdom of God. We are grateful, grateful. What a great conversation. A great dialogue to have today uh, here on this Super Tuesday. Pastor Stephen Chandler, and of course, the book Stop Waiting for Permission is up at thebottomlineshow.com. We have two copies of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, is the number to get you through to the bottom line two copies of this book, and I encourage you, if you have been kind of sitting on what you believe is your um, your God-given ability to do things, and I hear this from a lot of people, uh, oftentimes it happens with media, you know, I, I think I, God's given me the gift of music, or you know, writing, or this, that, and the other thing, how do I best use it? One of the best ways is, first of all, to figure out if that is a strength, or a weakness, or a liability, or, or an actual gift. And you'll know if it's a gift. I mean, you might like to sing, but if you're not a great singer, most people will be able to figure that out. But then once you figure out what the gifted it is, giftedness is, go do it head first. And Pastor Stephen Chandler is giving you permission to stop waiting for permission. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. On the other side of this break, Gavin Newsom is at it again. He's just lying to people. And it really is unfortunate when people do things like this. I realize this can happen in both directions. But man, when it does happen on the scale that he's using now to try to encourage people to support abortion rights in the People's Republic of California, well, this latest example is going to, uh, it's going to make you frustrated, but also make you want to take up arms in the battle to protect the sanctity of human life. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls for Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, Stop Waiting for Permission. Harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and two copies of the book that we're giving away right now, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, back in June, remember that uh, California was one of the first states to really go all in on the fact that Roe versus Wade had been overturned, and so they really wanted to double down here on abortion rights. You know, your rights are at risk, you're in danger, blah, blah, blah. The Supreme Court is, you know, changed changing laws and judiciating from the adjudicating from the bench it's just it was ridiculous because we, the only reason we have abortion and same-sex quote-unquote marriage in this country is because the supreme court made them up they invented parts of the constitution that gave them to them now understanding of course that the people all along have had the right to vote to pass laws to make same-sex quote-unquote marriage legal or to make abortion legal 
as a constitutional republic, the sign that the republic is working is that those laws do in fact get passed. I mean, we don't like those laws here on the conservative side necessarily, but the fact that they went through the right system is all we're saying. And the reason so many pro-lifers were rejoicing at the overturning of Roe versus Wade was really very simple. It's because the U.S. Supreme Court had kind of invented a constitutional right to privacy for women between women and their doctors, and that got misconstrued as a right to kill children. Then over the course of time, what a lot of people didn't realize is that many states had pro-abortion laws. And at one point, I remember probably 20 years ago, there were 42 out of the 50 states plus the District of Columbia that had state laws that said if Roe versus Wade is ever overturned, then um, it, abortion will still be legal. What a big surprise for the pro-abortion crowd to see how many states have become pro-life. And now we're kind of an even split. 25 states, I think, maybe it's 26 states have pro-life legislation on the books like Texas and Florida, Mississippi, etc. And 24 others, plus the District of Columbia, have pro-abortion laws. So we really are split right down the middle. But the states that have pro-abortion laws, like California and New York, have a lot of population. When California realized that Roe versus Wade was going to be overturned, Governor Newsom whisked into action, rushed into action, and put together Proposition 1 that basically codifies it into the California state constitution. So now abortion is the law of the land in California and will probably never not be. But it's interesting because one of the ways that the left subverted real justice and common sense in places like Connecticut and Colorado and California is by just lying to people. I talked earlier about the number of young women who were duped into voting to pass uh, Proposition 1 and Prop, or was it Proposition 3 and Proposition 1 in California, Proposal 3 in Colorado, Proposal 5 in Michigan or whatever. They all basically did the same thing. But you know what's interesting is um, Governor Newsom took to God's word, first and foremost, to try to describe why California needed to be an abortion sanctuary. You know, uh, basically, quote, it was at Mark 12, 31. He was basically talking about uh, uh, doing unto others, you know, the golden rule and that type of stuff and why it was important for abortion to be legal in California. It was crazy. It, just, it didn't make any sense. Well, he doubled down once again with a new ad that has run that uh, it's a pro-abortion ad of course and there in the video it looks like there's a well there's a woman who is standing in front of a building uh supreme court and uh, she's got her hand up over her forehead covering her eyes she's crying and this woman's tearful response appears to be uh grief over the Dobbs decision and the overturning of Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, the voiceover in the ad says panic is the primary reaction. You know, uh, here's a woman who was crying um, and, and was so sad because of the fact that uh, she um, <laughs> no longer had the right to legally kill her child on the federal level. She'd have to rely on state law. Well, if that's what, in fact, actually was the case, then it's a very dramatic ad. But let me introduce you to the woman in the ad. Macy Petty is her name. And when she saw the ad, she was rather surprised to see herself, first of all, in an ad where she had not given her express written consent to be used in the ad. But secondly, because 
she was not bemoaning the fact that the Dobbs versus Jackson case in Mississippi had in fact overturned Roe versus Wade. Quite the opposite, as a matter of fact. She's a student at Lee University, and she posted on her own social media pages, panic, sad, are you kidding? How about ecstatic, blown away by God's grace on this country? This ad was on the California governor's Twitter account. It was on Gavin Newsom's personal account. So she responded right there. And Instagram on January 21st, Macy Petty wrote, California Governor Gavin Newsom has used my image in one of his political ads and yet another attempt to show his support for women. He and pro-abortion Democrats have once again shown Americans how little they care for my voice as a woman. I'm asking them to stop, and I'm quoting her here, their pathetic mischaracterization of who I am. They have chosen once again to use my image and misrepresent me, a pro-life woman. I do not appreciate, nor do I consent to this kind of treatment and belittling of who I am as a woman. Please remove my image from your shameful ad and stop your disgraceful treatment of pro-life women just like me. Now, what's interesting is, apparently, this isn't the first time it happened. This video, which was taken off of social media and was used without Ms. Petty's consent, was actually used by Gavin Newsom and Hillary Clinton in a campaign video that was circulated prior to the midterms in November of 2022. They were using it to promote Proposition 1 in California. Then, Pacey also called them out. Quote, In your campaign video, you portrayed me in an evil light and distorted my emotions as part of your political game. As I continue to witness history, I ponder how lucky I am to witness such an event. I have thanked God for this decision and for opening my eyes to the evil of abortion. That is what brought me to tears. You know, <laughs> I, get, I, I want you to hear her reaction to Hillary Clinton posting that video in just a moment because it's huge. Macy Petty, a pro-life student at Lee University, calling out Gavin Newsom, Hillary Clinton, and any other pro-abortion Democrat for using her image for their propaganda. More on this in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Just a couple moments left for you to call in to get your copy of Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, Stop Waiting for Permission. Harness your gifts, find your purpose, and unleash your personal genius. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com and two copies of the book that we're giving away right now. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to The Bottom Line. When you go to thebottomlineshow.com today, you'll also see an article uh, from the Blaze Media Group, blaze.com, theblaze.com, featuring a couple of conversational quotes from Macy Petty. She is a a college student at Lee University, passionately pro-life. And on the day of Dobbs versus Jackson being basically established as the law of the land and Roe versus Wade, Planned Parenthood versus Casey being overturned. She was on the Supreme Court steps with some other pro-life activists. And there were other people there supporting abortion around them too. I mean, that's this free country. You could do that. But the, the video of her crying was actually used in a campaign ad by Gavin Newsom 
to support Prop 1 in California and is being used again because this is a great fundraising tool for Democrats. The only problem is Macy Petty is pro-life and was not and did not give her uh, support for using the ad. So here's Hillary Clinton posting on social media October 20th, 2022. When Prop 1 was no doubt going to pass, they were still pumping money into this. Hillary Clinton posts the video, quote, no matter where a person lives or how much money they have, women, not politicians, should be able to make decisions about their own lives. That includes abortion care and miscarriage management. Californians should vote yes on Prop 1 to protect fundamental rights. Macy Petty responded and said, yay, hey, Hillary, I'm the girl crying in this video. I'm pro-life and those are happy tears because I just witnessed a miracle. Don't you love how Hillary Clinton frames the argument, abortion care and miscarriage management? Well, the miscarriage is something that the abortion clinics are forcing on women with mifepristone and misoprostol. I mean, the reality is they're forcing the miscarriages because they're called abortions. Well, stand with Macy Petty. Fortunately, she's now uh, become part of the team at California Family Council, and I'm sure that's not the last we will be hearing from her uh, in her pro-life activism. So with all that, as I mentioned, we got a link up at thebottomlineshow.com. For our KCBC family, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And don't forget to tune back in tonight at 7 for the Bottom Line Show Extra and tomorrow at 10.30 for the Bottom Line Rewind. Rabbi Schneider at Discovering the Jewish Jesus coming up next for you. For those who remain on the network, we still got a few seconds left for Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, so call in for that at 800-227-5278. For those who remain on the network with us, remember the video that Project Veritas has been releasing over the past couple of years, kind of exposing different parts of government fraud. Well, a Pfizer executive is going to break down for us exactly what happened with COVID and how Pfizer stood to profit from it. You're going to hear that video coming up next as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh, Super Tuesday edition of the program. And as we focus on uh, the people who are still calling in for uh, Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, we've still got, I, I think the phone lines are still busy, which is good. I'm glad so many people are enjoying that. Um, a, an interesting, challenging segment to talk about. And I'll be the first to admit, when the COVID pandemic broke out, we're coming up on, was it March the 30th or no, the 20th? It was sometime in mid, mid to later March. You remember those days? the first couple of weeks, the 15 days to stop the, well, to slow the spread or stop the spread, whatever the, the image was. I think most people were on board saying, okay, look, this thing has come out of nowhere. We don't know what happened. Uh, government officials are telling us it's a worldwide you know, health pandemic. We got to take this seriously, of course. And it was kind of nice to look out at the, at the, the blue sky instead of the smoggy sky here in Southern California, for example. And to see nature and you know, people out riding bikes and walking and talking and, you know, kind of smiling and, hey, what's going on here as we tried to navigate this, tried to figure it out. And then after a couple of weeks, people begin to be a little more suspicious and then a little more curious and maybe a little more anxious. And we've had three years now to study this and to see what's going on. And, you know, there are two ways we can go after what has happened over the past three years. We can do so politically trying to score points, you know, my side against your side. We could take a look at it uh, realistically, you know, what happened. There's a virus that got into our system somehow. Uh, various questions as to 
Did it originate in a lab in Wuhan? Did the United States have gain of function so they could actually control it? I mean, for many of us, we think in terms of the scientific world as, oh my gosh, they just discovered this new strain of, take your pick, you know, flu or pneumonia, smallpox, whatever the heck it is. And then scientists try to figure out what it's make, made up of so then they can create something to combat it. And so you look at two ways. There's the prevention initially, like with a vaccine or a pill or whatever it is. And then there's treatment, you know, and usually the treatment comes before the prevention. There are things you can do, wash your hands, don't touch your face. I remember having a conversation with Greg Harris, uh, my good friend who is the uh, president and CEO through the Bible. And Greg has worked for Transworld Radio and Far East Broadcasters, Saddleback Church. He's traveled the world many times over pursuing the spread of the gospel. And when this first came out, I remember Greg telling me, you know, the two most important things anybody can do when you're traveling internationally, regardless of what you're trying to avoid getting, he said, is wash your hands and don't touch your face. If you do that, that'll take care of about, you know, a good majority of what you're dealing with. Well, then we get into the vaccine. And that's when people started asking questions like, why is there so much pressure on, we need a vaccine, we need a vaccine, we need a vaccine. But people were being hospitalized with this, they were being diagnosed, they were dying from it, and there really didn't seem to be anything in the way of treatment. Then some people started talking about different types of treatment, and there was a good concern, even here on the bottom line show, toward the end of that first year, say 2020, if we'd come on and talk about COVID, people were all about it. Phone lines would light up, we'd have huge dialogue and discussion. And then over time, I think people's interest started to wane a little bit with regard to why we're in this situation. It's just, I just want to get on with my life. I don't want to get it. And if I get knocked down by it, I do. I was hanging out with uh, Dennis and Kathy Wilson the other day. They Neither one of them got the jab, which is fine. That's their prerogative to not do it. And Kathy's had COVID three times. She goes, wait, I thought I had natural immunity. What the heck? And when you get older and you have COVID, you know, it, it can wear you down. Tamara's fighting it off right now. I mean, COVID obviously is real. That was one of the politicized side uh, parts of this. I remember us having a National Crawford Roundtable podcast where when this first came out, we were all kind of naturally skeptical going, what the heck is this? And is this even real? Well, since that time, Neil's had it twice. I had it once. Bob had it once. It's very real. There's no question about COVID being real. But the question is, why did it spread so fast? Why was there so much focus on a vaccine first? And why are we only now, three years into it, getting the treatments coming our way? Well, James O'Keefe is a name you may be familiar with. He's a guy who runs a website and media operation called Project Veritas and Project Veritas Action. Those are both nonprofit organizations. And the reason you have one with one name and one with the other, one's a 501c3 nonprofit, one's a 501c4 that can get involved in government, uh, uh, you know, get out to vote campaigns and lobbying efforts and things of that nature. Many of the Christian organizations that you support, listening to the Bottom Line Show affiliates, uh, will typically have a, if it's even ministries, will have a 501c3, this is our ministry, but then they may have a small 501c4 that says, hey, you know, we're Christians, but we believe we should get out and vote. Let's partner with My Faith Votes and I Voter Guide and Election Forum and, 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 and encourage people to vote. It is interesting that Project Veritas has been able to blow the lid off a couple of different things regarding COVID, how it got here, how it spread, why the vaccine became so politicized. 
But their most recent video you may not have seen much about on the mainstream media, and I, for one, don't understand why. Granted, it is one man's opinion from one of the leading pharmaceutical companies. But when you hear his title and what he has to say about COVID, this is another one of those undercover, talking on camera, they're at a restaurant, there's a lot of people in the background. We'll put the entire 10-minute clip up at thebottomlineshow.com, courtesy of Jesse Kelly at um, the Jesse Kelly Show, who posted this on his Twitter page. But it features an interview with a Project Veritas interviewer, possibly James O'Keefe, though he doesn't always go out because sometimes people recognize him now and they don't want to talk to him. (laughs) But he's interviewing a guy by the name of Jordan Tristan Walker. Mr. Walker serves as the Director of Research and Development with an emphasis on strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning for Pfizer. Pfizer, one of the first pharmaceutical companies, of course, to offer up the jab, as I refer to it here. Pfizer, Moderna, Johnson & Johnson, they all have their own versions of it. And now it's interesting because uh, there's been a call to create some uniformity. In other words, maybe not let all three of these companies make a lot of money off of their vaccines, but rather come up with one basic vaccine. And would someone like to come up with a treatment for COVID? Possibly. I mean, it's been highly politicized. We've got the video. We're putting it up at thebottomlineshow.com. I want to play a few highlights from this video for you just to get an idea as to what kind of conversations happen behind the scenes at Pfizer, according to their director of research and development for strategic operations. Joel, let's get into it now. Cut number one. Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. Don't tell anyone this story. You got to publish your own story. You got to publish your own story. We're exploring, like, no. You know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can preemptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. It'd be, like, very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like, you know, it goes everywhere. Something crazy. It's the way that the virus started in Wuhan. To be honest, like, it's, it makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. Like, yeah, I know. Meet Jordan Tristan Walker, a director of research and development strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning at Pfizer. It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like there's... It's definitely not getting a function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. So directed evolution is very different. Yeah. Well, you're not supposed to do gain function research with the viruses. Like, yeah. They recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected threshold mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research I'm talking about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks. Now, gain of function research has made a lot of headlines over the past several years and months especially. Literally, it's medical research that genetically alters an organism in a way that may enhance the biological functions of gene products. This may include an altered pathogenesis, transmissibility, or host range. In other words, the types of hosts that a microorganism can infect. It's been debated as to whether or not the U.S. had gain-of-function on the COVID-19 virus, the coronavirus, as it were. And you heard Jordan Walker saying, well, we don't really call it gain of function. 
But what appears to be evident is that COVID-19 was created in a lab in Wuhan, province of China. That gain of function meant, again, if you're a scientist, again, we're not faulting scientists for creating a virus, running tests on said virus, and trying to create a cure or at least a prevention for that virus in the odd chance that perhaps a virus similar to this one would somehow break out. I mean, if you if they were noticing, uh, say, malaria, for example, before we all knew it was malaria, and you were trying to do something to stop it, and by all means, wouldn't you support scientists saying, let's create something that kind of mimics malaria, we'll have gain of function on it so we can kind of see how it might mutate, it might change, and then we'll create some kind of vaccine or, or cure, if you will, for it, that would prevent it from spreading. Viruses mutate. That's what they do. So the fact that COVID-19 has mutated into all these different forms and not all the vaccines solve all the problems, that's just science. I mean, that's the nature of science. So the idea that so many people were led to believe, well, we've got this virus, virus A, it's in one box here, COVID-19. And as soon as we come up with the cure, the vaccination, everybody gets the vaccination, the virus will stop. When you put in the counteraction to the virus, what is the virus going to do? It's going to mutate. I mean, seriously, I think a lot of people thought of COVID-19 like the San Francisco 49ers offense after Brock Purdy tore his UCL. We talked about this yesterday, remember? He had a quarterback who hurt his ankle, another one who couldn't throw the ball. They were basically down. They had hundreds of plays in their arsenal. 15 of them were running, running plays. And basically what happened, I think a lot of people thought, once we come up with a vaccine, then basically COVID becomes Brock Purdy and the 49ers offense. Didn't happen like that. It's continued to go. By the way, does it give you concern or uh, hope that the White House has announced that the global pandemic, as far as the United States is concerned, will officially end on May 31st, 2023? We still technically, according to the government, are in a global pandemic over COVID-19. But how much of this did we know about? What did the drug companies know about? This viral video featuring a major player at Pfizer is really raising some eyebrows. We're going to get into more of this in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Get your money out of a traditional 401k or IRA now. What we have is we have a problem in the sense that, and I've got a big pot of money. No one's advising me on what to do with this big pot of money. And so I'm just kind of putting it all over the place. People in the early 50s and early 60s, when they went to work, they had pension plans. Hey, they knew when they retired, they're going to have a pension plan. Well, it is a real challenge when you think about the fact that here I am, now I'm retired and you're now responsible for everything to do with your retirement, everything to do with the growth, everything to do with what you're going to do. And so this kind of gives you a feeling of relief to know that, hey, that, that I'm not the only one out here suffering. When you see the, the severity of what the 401k has limited you to, and you realize that it really isn't what it was cracked up to be, this kind of takes them down the road and shows them how easily that can be solved. Call 800-696-9970. 800-696-9970. Wilson Financial Services for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We are listening to excerpts from 
a fascinating undercover interview conducted by James O'Keefe and his team at Project Veritas featuring Jordan Tristan Walker, the Director of Research and Development, Strategic Operations and MRNA Scientific Planning at Pfizer, explaining how Pfizer understood gain of function and how, yeah, it really was a part of the COVID spread, but they had a reason for doing so. Joel, let's go ahead, cut number two. The gentleman seems to have absolutely no moral compass at all. I revolving door for all government officials. It's pretty good for the industry, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's bad for everyone else in America. Why is it bad for everybody else? Because if the regulators who have to approve our drugs know that once they stop being a regulator, they want to go work for the company, they're not going to be as hard for the company. They're doing their job. If this is the quality of individuals within Pfizer that are making these huge decisions that uh, risk global public health. It's profoundly corrupt. What is Pfizer doing, I guess, to optimize, you know, the vaccines now? Oh, we actually have a meeting about that today. So there's a lot. Really? They're doing, uh, I don't know if I should say this. <laughs> Our undercover journalist asked Walker how Pfizer is handling the fact that their COVID vaccines are ineffective against virus variants. What he said is disturbing. Listen to this. We're exploring, like, now, you know how the virus keeps mutating? Yeah. Well, one of the things we're exploring is, like, why don't we just mutate it ourselves so we can pre-emptively develop new vaccines, right? So we have to do that. If we're going to do that, though, there's a risk of, like, as you could imagine, no one wants to be having a pharma company mutating fucking viruses. Yeah. Okay. So we're like, do we want to do this? So that's, like, one of the things we're considering. Okay. Like, the future, like, maybe we can, like, create new versions of the vaccines and things like that. Okay, so Pfizer ultimately is thinking about mutating COVID? Well, that is not what we say to the public. No. That's why it was, a, it was a thought that came up in a meeting, and we were like, why, why do we not? It was like, we're going to consider that with more discussions. Okay. That exact reaction, right? We're like, wait a minute. Like, people won't like that. That's right. It appears that Pfizer is internally discussing the possibility of mutating the COVID virus themselves in order to tailor a vaccine to sell to the public. Now, that's an interesting concept, he said with uh, one eyebrow raised as high as it would go. It's one thing to say, okay, we've got this health crisis. We've got a health problem here. You know, cancer spreading like crazy or diphtheria, polio, they're all showing up again. I mean, even malaria only recently, I mean, malaria has been around for seemingly forever. There was a malaria vaccine finally patented and approved by the FDA like last year. So here comes this virus that nobody saw coming except the pharmaceutical companies. And then here comes a vaccine that we rushed into production, though we actually had about, it turns out, a seven-year head start because they knew about the virus back in 2013, 2014. And then that the drug manufacturers were actually having conversations about mutating the virus? How would they do that? I mean, in a natural situation, and I'm, again, armchair scientist here, I, D in chemistry, B in, or C in biology, okay? Not, not a great student when it came through high school or college when it came to sciences. I have a daughter who's a scientist, but, you know. What you're telling us then, Mr. Jordan Tristan Walker from Pfizer, is that 
you had a staff meeting earlier, this was filmed a week ago, so last week, where Pfizer was discussing ways, seriously discussing ways to, how should we say, amend the virus that's in the culture right now so that you could come up with a better vaccine for it. For those of us who, you know, I remember a lot of folks, especially those in greatest generation and older baby boomers, when the vaccine first came out, they said, hey, wait a minute, we eliminated polio with a vaccine. We got rid of mumps and measles with vaccines. We understand that vaccines are good. So everybody take the vaccine. But we're mumps and measles and polio man-made phenomenon. And again, I'm asking that question seriously. Were they? How many things in American medicine do we take, and this is not just an American phenomenon, but how many things that happen in American medicine do we just take for granted because the FDA told us we should believe that, or the American Medical Association told us we should believe that? I think we're getting to the point now where people are actually asking and answering some really good questions about this. And the fact that Jordan Tristan Walker, who is the Director of Research and Development for Strategic Operations and mRNA Scientific Planning, which basically means those are the agents that get in your system and start messing with your DNA. And he's just talking very matter-of-factly over dinner saying, yeah, we had that discussion this morning. This is some really heady stuff. Uh, we've got more of this video to come uh, in the broadcast later. And of course, the entire 10 minutes worth is up at thebottomlineshow.com. I want to offer a congratulations here before we go to break uh, to Leticia from Chula Vista and Peter from Menifee. They both picked up copies of uh, Pastor Stephen Chandler's book, uh, Stop Waiting for Permission. Uh, we, well, I love the title. I love the concept. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. And don't forget, we've got lots of great things to give away on tomorrow's program because it's Everyone Wednesday. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, more of this amazing video from Pfizer's Director of Research and Development as to how much could have been controlled in terms of stopping the spread of COVID-19, and what are some ways that we can, as citizens, be more proactive to not get duped again. We'll talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. I love these undercover videos, not because of their sting operations and that's so exciting, but rather because on the video, oftentimes you get people to tell the truth about what's going on and then you can make the best decision possible. We know in the abortion industry, for example, they thrive on women who have had unplanned pregnancies and those unplanned pregnancies then wind up turning into abortions and big money for the abortion clinics. But the reason they're able to get so many women to coerce them, be coerced into having abortions is quite frankly, they don't tell them the truth. Our friends at Preborn are all about telling the truth. With ultrasound machines and ultrasound technology, a pre-pregnancy test and then a woman has an ultrasound, she gets to meet her baby face-to-face -face for the first time and hear that child's heartbeat. 83% of the women who get the ultrasound at a Preborn health clinic choose life for their son or daughter. Let's support this great work right now with a gift of $28 or more to Preborn. Every $28 means one more donation for the benefit of an ultrasound machine. So $280 saves 10 kids' lives. You can do the math from there. 833-850-BABY is the number to call. 833-850-BABY. That's 833-850-2229. Or click on the preborn banner when you go to kbrightradio.com. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We are listening to audio excerpts of a video that was posted by Project Veritas featuring Jordan Tristan Walker, who's the director of strategic, well, he's the director of research and development for strategic operations and mRNA scientific planning 
at Pfizer, and he's talking very casually in this conversation about discussions that have happened behind the scenes at Pfizer regarding creating their own gain of function mutation of the virus itself so that they might be able to, as he put it, come up with a better vaccine. Uh, let's continue now, Joel, cut number three, if you would. Listen to Walker describe in detail just how they would conduct such a scientific experiment. First, in living animals. So the way they were thinking about it, don't tell anyone what's going on. You got to publish your own You got to publish your own So um, the way it would work is like, we put them in the virus in these monkeys. Okay. And then we successively like cause them to keep infecting each other. And we collect serial samples from them. And then the ones that are more infectious, like the virus, we'll put them in another monkey and just constantly actively mutate it. That's one way. Okay. Or you can even do like directed like simulation, which like we and then you just sample what the different like um, like uh, proteins on the surface of the virus look like over time. Okay. So then you can see the mutation. Then you kind of force it to mutate in a certain way you want. Okay. But you have to be like very controlled to make sure that this virus that you mutate doesn't create something like you know goes everywhere. Something Which crazy. Fact is the way that the virus started and moving on. To be honest, like it's, it makes no sense that this virus popped out of nowhere. Like yeah, I know. COVID virus experimentation on live monkeys. This is unethical. Yeah, uh, not the least of which, we're the animal rights activists when you need them, right? But the idea of the, how the mutations happen, I mean, viruses mutate naturally anyway when you introduce something that's going to attack them. But then the fact that they are creating the mutations in the labs once again, I, you have to wonder what the end game is. Let's go ahead, Joel, with the next cut, cut number four. To say the least, and Walker describes those experiments as if they are ongoing and not simply a hypothetical discussion. So, I mean, when is Pfizer going to implement the mutation of all these viruses? I don't know. It depends on how the experiments work out. Because this is just like something we're trying, right? It sounds like gain of function to me. I don't know. It's a little bit different. I think it's different. It's like there's... It's definitely not gain of function. It sounds like it is. I mean, it's okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, directed evolution is very different. <laughs> Direct evolution? Directed evolution. Directed evolution, okay. <laughs> well, so, I mean, is that what it is? Maybe, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're not supposed to do gain function research with the viruses, like, yeah. they recommend not. But you do, like, these, like, selected directional mutations to try to see if you can make more potent. Yeah. So there, there is research on the about that. I don't know how that's going to work. There might not be any more outbreaks. So, um, tell me more, like, What's developing with the whole, you know, virus mutation process? Mm -hmm. Well, they're still kind of conducting the experiments on it, but uh, it seems like from what I've heard, they're kind of optimizing it, but they're going slow because everyone's very cautious. Like, you know, right. obviously they don't want to kind of accelerate it too much. Yeah. Um, but I think they're also just trying to do it as an exploratory thing because you obviously don't want to advertise that you're trying to figure out future mutation. Okay, so did that, did the whole virus mutation thing like come from your executive, Sarah? No, 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 that came from, like, we have, like, chief scientific officers in, like, the other divisions. In a subsequent meeting, our undercover journalist asked if this type of gain-of-function research is already being studied at Pfizer. But no, as long as it's called directed evolution, Pfizer's in the clear. And therein lies the rub with the danger of what Francis Schaeffer famously predicted many, many years ago when he said, he who controls the word controls the world. When you call it gain of function, the medical research that genetically alters an organism in a way that might enhance the biological functions of gene products, that's the legal definition of that, then 
that's wrong. But if you call it directed evolution, well, apparently there's nothing illegal about that. Anthony Fauci, Francis Collins from the CDC and the NIH respectively knew that the gain of function was taking place, but because it was called direct called directed evolution instead, well, just be quiet and don't ask too many questions. Name of the game here, brothers and sisters, is we don't win anything if we try to politicize this event, but we lose considerably if we turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to what's been taking place. Father, I just lift up our nation to you right now. For those who are using uh, good for evil and trying to call evil good, we know, Father, ultimately that you are it ruling and reigning over everything, and you are in the process of redeeming our culture. You're in the process of redeeming and sanctifying your church and bringing lost sinners home to you. May we never lose sight of what we're called to do, but may we also not turn a blind eye and a deaf ear to evil when evil is being conducted. We pray that the people who are working in the medical uh, organizations that are helping us and providing benefit for us are not being persuaded by evil, not being lied to so that they would lie and mislead other people. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Good news is available. It is true, and it's always true. That's the bottom line.